We're going to take a break from the book of Acts over the next few weeks as we enter into more of a Christmas theme for our Christmas season. And so if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to go to the book of Revelation. You ever heard a sermon, a Christmas sermon preached out of the book of Revelation? You're going to hear it this morning uh, from Revelation chapter 3. So as you're finding your way there to Revelation chapter 3, go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We're going to spend some time looking at a particular church this morning. Um, as you're doing that, I want you to think about some of the different traditions and and customs and, and the, the ceremony and the pageantry and everything that we know of Christmas today. And, and really, how did we get to where we are today? Where, how did we really get here? Um, you can go online. You can do Google searches. You can do a lot of research. You can read a lot about all of the different customs and traditions of Christmas and how we got here. And there's a wealth of information out there. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a background, I think I find it interesting. I think it's pretty important for us to, to, to do this kind of thing from time to time. But, but the reason we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, we can, historically we can trace it back to the Roman Empire, Constantine um, and Pope Julius, who was uh, one of the early popes there of the Catholic Church. We can see them making an official declaration in the Roman Catholic Empire back around 336 A.D. That's one of the uh, one of the historical facts I could find about December 25th being recognized as an official day of worship, an official day of celebrating the birth of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Um, many of the traditions and customs, as far as trees and wreaths and lights and poinsettias and and all a mistletoe and all those kind of things, they, they really find their origin in other customs and other cultures, and we just kind of began to adapt a lot of those things um, during this time of year. I do think there's some validity in seeing that the, the early Christian church, is, is there was a competing pagan holiday around the winter solstice, which is usually around the 22nd, 21st, 22nd of December, the shortest day of the year. The pagans would begin to worship the sun god during this time because it was the shortest day of the year. The next day, the days began to get longer. It was the promise of the coming life, the coming spring. And so the pagans had all of their different customs and traditions that they did around this time and had these great festivals. And I do think there's a lot of validity in that the early church kind of took many of those same customs and traditions and, and um, you know, decorations and pageantry and all those kind of things, and they just simply began to apply and attribute Christian meaning to those things. And they said, well, if the pagans are going to worship their sun god during this time of year, we want to worship the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came uh, to, to make himself known to us. And so that's where the church really began to develop their own customs and attributing Christian meaning Two things like Christmas trees and wreaths and the candles and the bells and all of those things. And so you do find a lot of interesting um, historical background when you begin to look at why we celebrate Christmas the way we do. Why do we celebrate Christmas at the time that we do? Because the scripture itself does not give us a specific date as when Jesus Christ was born. I'm very doubtful that Jesus was born on December 25th. I don't believe he was born, probably wasn't even born in the winter as far as I can tell. There's, again, there's so much research. A lot of people have gone in depth and written extensively about this. If you're interested in those kind of things, I think it's important that you do that. My best guess is that Jesus was more than likely born probably in the fall time of the year. I think there's some interesting connections with the Feast of Tabernacles, which takes place in the fall of the year. How Jesus said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us in John chapter 1. 
and we beheld his glory. It came uh, full of grace and truth. And I think there's some connection there maybe that Jesus tabernacled with us in the flesh. He took on flesh. He was born in human form. And I think there is some connections there with the Feast of Tabernacles. So he could have been born around that time in the fall. What I'm trying to get to you, communicate to you this morning more than anything, is it not necessarily exactly, we know exactly when Jesus Christ was born, but we know that he was born. That's the most important thing is that we know Jesus Christ was indeed born, even though we don't have the exact specific date and you can debate about those kind of things. The most important thing is that he was indeed born. We know this historically, and then his life is a historical fact. His death, his burial, and his resurrection are historical facts, and that's where our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is grounded in the historical um, person of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today... You may fall on two, one of two, two extremes. Some people get really wrapped up in the commercialization and the pageantry of Christmas, and you really enjoy all of that. Some of you maybe take it even a little bit too far where you get a little bit too wrapped up in it, and you begin to lose focus in what the true spirit of the season is all about. I've been there. Some of you may be over there. Some of you may be way over here, and you're like, I don't want anything to do with any of these pagan uh, rituals and pagan customs, and we're just going to we're gonna strip everything away when it comes to Christmas, and we're going to try to really focus on the Lord Jesus. And then some of you may fall somewhere right there in the middle. I think maybe most of us probably fall somewhere in the middle where there is still a way to enjoy Christmas trees and, and all of the, the, the traditions and customs that come along with, with Christmas without completely becoming a heathen and a pagan and, and, and going off the deep end, per se. So we're able to do this in a way where we can still focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can still think about the Lord and all the symbols of Christmas. We can still very much find a middle ground in there where we can enjoy the, the, the wonderful things and the traditions of Christmas without completely losing focus and losing sight of what the true spirit of the season is really about. But we all know that somewhere along the way, we kind of got off track, didn't we? I think we all know that. And I think there's some tension with that, at least with me. There's always been a little bit of tension that something's not quite right with the Christmas season. All we need to do is really go see one Black Friday brawl day after Thanksgiving, right? Go to Walmart, you see the mad rush, you see one big brawl over a television set or something, and you step back and you say, wait a minute, something's not quite right. I had one buddy who was always so excited about getting up for Black Friday, and I'm like, man, why do you even want to go out there and get involved in that madness and and, and all for just a a deal? He said, hey, man, I don't get up and go for the deals. I get up and go to watch the fights. That's what he said. He said, this is great YouTube content, man. So we know, we, we understand that, that we have gotten way off track, and, and that's where some of my love-hate relationship with Christmas kind of comes in because there's that unnecessary stress and anxiety and all the worldliness and the commercialization. As one person shared with me this week, how Christmas can get hijacked. It's been hijacked from us and, and all of those things. And, and so I, I had to begin to ask myself, is this really what God wants us as his people to be doing? Is, is Jesus pleased with what we've made of his birthday when we begin to run around and we're just so swept up and, and we're spending money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like? And it's like this whole thing just gets so out of hand. And and many times I think we've made Christmas about us. And and I think all of us struggle with that 
with that tension. It, it even goes down to the question that we ask our kids. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really um, get a little bit more in depth about this one question as we finish up today. But think about it. You see a little kid around this time, or let's say it's, it's January after Christmas. You see a little kid. What's the first thing you're going to ask them? What'd you get for Christmas? That's what we ask every child that we see, right? And just think about the implications of what we've just done. What did you get for Christmas? And so we know that when our children are more excited and focused on those things and the toys and what they're going to get and instead of the true meaning of Christmas, you know, and, I, and I, again, I'm preaching to the choir. Many of us here today, we get it, we understand it, we struggle with it, we're trying to find a good, healthy balance in it. All of that goes without saying but I want you to, to be encouraged today because if you struggle with any of these things, today's message is for you. Today's message is for you. Some of you in this room today can't even stand Christmas because all you have associated with Christmas right now is pain and loneliness and sadness and fear. And you're not, you're not looking forward to Christmas at all. I know some of you out there are feeling that way right now. Well, this message is for you too. And I want all of you to be encouraged and walk away encouraged as we think about what it means to be open for Christmas. I was one morning, I remember I got up as a good father does before everybody was uh, awake in my house, which is hard to do because the kids usually wake me up before the sun comes up on Christmas morning. I had to drive across town to my sister's house to, to get the last minute Christmas present thing that I had to go figure out and put together before I could get it back to the house and all those things. Anyway, you understand what, what a parent does on Christmas and Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. But I'll never forget, I'm driving Christmas morning. You get out early. It was cold. Uh, nobody's on the road, right? Just an empty, like the town was completely still. It was completely dead. And I remember driving past a store. This is real early in the morning. And there's a huge sign on the, on the window, open for Christmas. And I was thinking, my first thought was, man, I hate to be the person that has to work that shift on Christmas. And I know some of you probably have to work on Christmas. Sometimes your jobs just demand it. But then God just convicted me at that moment. When I saw that sign and thinking about what it means to be open for Christmas. And this is really, this is the questions that the, that the Lord began to, to kind of penetrate in my heart. He says, are you open for Christmas? Is your heart, is your home open up for me this Christmas? Am I welcome to share and experience Christmas with you? This, this is the Lord gently, softly speaking to me. Or have you closed me out? And man, I was convicted. And I think that if we get anything out of this passage today, when we look at a church in the book of Revelation, which you would think would never have anything, any connection to do with Christmas today. I think that all of us will be able to walk away from here today understanding that all of us need to be more open when it comes to Christmas, but not just for Christmas and every day after that. Obviously, we know the implications of not just um, singling, singling out this time of year to be good Christians of good cheer and giving people and considerate of others and all those kind of things that we're going to talk about in, in just a moment. No, this is something that we're called to do every single day of our lives, not just during the Christmas season. And so if you look at Revelation chapter 3, I want to share with you a message that the Lord Jesus gave to a church, and that church is called Laodicea. Now, many of you may be familiar with the church at Laodicea. They're, they're, they've been accused of being the lukewarm church. 
But as I began to look at the description and the characteristics and the warnings and the rebukes that the Lord Jesus gave this church during this time through the Apostle John, he gave a revelation to John to write these letters to these literal, specific, historical churches in Asia Minor. And man, they were some difficult letters to write. And I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter 3. And we're just going to read the, the letter that the Lord Jesus, remember, it's Jesus giving this letter, giving this message to a specific church. And, and we know that it applied directly to that church of that day. But listen, it also applies to you and me today. Jesus' message continues on and carries on throughout the ages, throughout the generations, so that even today as we read these words, we have to be able to examine ourselves and see ourselves in light of these words, just as the church at Laodicea did in their day. And so if you look at Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in verse 14 this morning. And let's just read the letter that Jesus gave to the church at Laodicea. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is Jesus. He's the, he's the Amen, the true witness. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the first thing I want to share with you this morning, based on this text, is that we need open ears to hear and believe the word of Christ. You see, several times in this passage, Jesus mentions the fact that we need to hear. We need to listen. Look at what it says in verse 20. It says, if anyone hears my voice. See, before any of us can open the door to receive Christ in, where he is in his rightful place, where he's supposed to be in our lives, we first have to be even willing or able to hear his voice. And then the, he caps it off in verse 22 by reminding us that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So all of these rebukes and these warnings, Jesus is trying to simply get the attention of his church. And again, like I said before, he's still speaking to you and me today, these very same warnings and these very same rebukes. So what happened to the church at Laodicea? Basically, just to give you a brief overview or synopsis of where they had gone, they had become self-reliant because they were a very wealthy church. Okay, they were very comfortable. They were proud and they had grown very complacent. And this is a picture that Jesus paints for them. And he's saying, guess what? I'm on the outside. I'm not even inside with you because I have to knock on the door. And if you can even hear my voice, you'll let me in. Jesus is basically rebuking this church and saying, everything that you've made church has left me alone on the outside. 
They had put Jesus on the proverbial back burner while they carried on about their own business. So Jesus was disgusted with them. I want you all to think about the the implications of the words that that Jesus uses. He's very graphic in his description of the church at Laodicea. He said, you make me sick. You use my name. You're called my people. But you make me sick. I want to throw you up. It's the very words that Jesus uses here. Speaking of them as the lukewarm church. Now, just to be clear, I do want to make a point because this is in the historical context. This is not the passage of Scripture where God is saying he wants you to be hot on fire for him, and he'd rather you not, not even be on fire or be anything. He'd rather you be cold than to be a lukewarm Christian. That's not what this passage of Scripture is saying. You understand? I've heard it taught that way before. Just to be clear, what Jesus is saying is he's saying you need to be hot or cold. Both were useful in Laodicea. The cold waters were refreshing, sweet, good drinking water that, that, that were springing up there from those mountains in Laodicea. It was very beneficial to the people. And then there were these hot springs that, that, that welled up from the mountains where people would come for medicinal purposes. They would soak in the hot baths. It was very useful. What Jesus is saying is, be useful for me. Don't be lukewarm because somewhere along the way, the hot waters would blend with some of the colder waters down below and that lukewarm, murky water was good for nothing. He's saying, you either be hot or cold, be useful for me, but don't be lukewarm, don't be good for nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to warn us about today. So when I have to look at my own life and I have to look at the ministry and I have to look at my home and my family life and church life and all these kind of things, I really had to begin to look at myself this week and say, when do I ever just make God sick? Am I living a lukewarm life? Is the church lukewarm to where when the Lord looks at us, he's like, you know what? You're not really hot or cold. You're just kind of going through the motions. That's not what the Lord would have us to do and what he would have us to be. So how do we discern that? How how do we even determine whether or not we're lukewarm if we're in the same position that the church in Laodicea is? Well, the first step is that we got to open our ears. We have to be willing to hear the word of the Lord. Why? Because it's the word of God that brings us back to conform us to reality. It's the word of the Lord that reminds us of the truth. It's the word of the Lord that reminds us of who he is and who we are and what he has done and what we're called to do. It's the word of the Lord that is so precious and valuable in our lives to get us realigned, to get us oriented back to the will of God on the right path. All of those things that come with knowing, first hearing and understanding and then doing the word of God. So the first thing I want to encourage you with this morning to do this Christmas and every day after is just open your ears. Open your ears to hear the word of God. Think about all the things that the word of God does as it penetrates our hearts. It convicts us of sin. It strengthens our faith. It corrects us when we're wrong. It warns us of danger. It rebukes us when we need to get back on track. It encourages us, enlightens us. It heals our hearts. All of these things the word of God is capable of doing if we're willing to open our ears and hear it. So while Jesus was constantly telling his disciples, as he went out through his earthly ministry, that's what he would say. He who has an ear, let him hear. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, listen, wake up. I'm about, I'm about to tell you something very important, so you need to listen to me. 
And that's what the Lord's telling you and me today, saying we need as the church, we need as individual Christians, we need to wake up, we need to listen to what the Lord has to say to us and focus on what he's about to say. He is the true witness. In other words, Jesus is reminding us these are the words of God, not of man. So pay attention. So as you think about this Christmas season, all the things you got to do right now. Listen, what is this? December the 9th. How many days until Christmas? 16? Two weeks. Some of you are sitting in there right now. You're thinking, as soon as church is over, I got to run because I got so many things to do. Is it, let me ask you this. On your checklist of things to do this Christmas, you as an individual and you as a family, where does the Word of God find its place? Do you have dedicated time this Christmas to get into the Word of God? Beyond all the distractions and all the other things you have to do, are you willing to make time for the Lord and get in His Word and open your ears to what He has to say? Because if we're not, we're going to miss it out. We're going to miss out on what He has for us. We need to stop making excuses and say, oh, the God understands. It's just a busy time, and he'll understand because I'll start my new Bible reading plan January 1st when I'm supposed to get back on track. No, don't wait till January 1st. Let's do it right now. Let's make a commitment right now to open our ears to hear from the Lord. Because listen to me, if we're not listening to God each and every day, then we are closing ourselves off to him. I want you to hear me on that. Think about any other relationship that you have in your life. Husbands, spouses, children, parents. The minute that you stop listening, the minute that you stop hearing their heart, you're effectively doing what? You're shutting yourself off from them, from that person. And yet we think that we can carry on and continue to be the witnesses and the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ, all the while closing ourselves off from him because we're not willing just to take time, make time, to open our ears and to hear. The second thing I want to encourage you to do this Christmas is to open your heart to receive the perfect love of Christ. Now, these sound so cliche, right? Open your heart, receive the love of Christ, but they're not cliche. They're so relevant, they're so important that we open our ears to hear the word of God, that we open our hearts to receive the perfect love of Christ. Even as Jesus rebukes the church here in Laodicea, think about it. He says, my motivation is this, I discipline those whom I, whom I love. Jesus is giving this harsh warning out of love because he loves his people. He loves you. He loves me. He wants the best for us. And so this letter was motivated by love. Christmas literally represents the very personification of love. Love came down. That's what, that's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God with us, love in the flesh. God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, we understand that um, love was, again, personif uh, personified in Jesus Christ, that his perfect love cast out all fear from our hearts. But listen to me, knowing the love of God and experiencing the love of God are two completely different things. Let me say that again. Knowing the love of God, knowing about the love of God, knowing that Jesus Christ loves you, knowing and understanding that, and then experiencing that on, a, on an intimate level are two completely different things. Some of us right now, we're looking to be fulfilled 
in maybe material things, maybe in the... Listen, some of us right now, we're hoping for the perfect Christmas. It's like if everything can be in place, if everybody just gets along, good luck with that, right? During a family holiday. Like like if everything's just right, if our circumstances are just right, everything just kind of comes together, then I'm going to be fulfilled. And you know what? You might have the perfect Christmas this year. I hope that you do have the perfect Christmas this year. But apart from the love of Jesus Christ filling your heart, you're still going to be left empty. You're still going to be left incomplete. Because our friends, our family, the right circumstances, none of those things can meet our deepest need, which is the perfect love of Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's so important that we make time this Christmas season and every day after to open up our hearts. Now listen, let's think about our hearts right now, our vulnerable hearts, our hurting hearts. Our, some of you have fearful hearts, but we need desperately to be willing to open those hearts up again to the Lord and allow him to pour out his love into our hearts Because it's been said that we're born with this God-sized void in our heart, and there's only one person who can fill that void, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, whom he has given to us, excuse me. And so nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. There's so many verses about the love of Christ. We could go on and on and on about that. But let me tell you, some of us here today, we have closed off our hearts to God. We've hardened our hearts. We harbor bitterness, unforgiveness. We're harboring hatred, some of us. Some of us are harboring these feelings not just toward other people, but even toward who? Toward God. Can we get honest for just a second? Even as God's children, even as Christians today, you're telling me that we don't come to times and places in total desperation and frustration and anger where we don't blame God for something that went wrong in our life? Why did, why did you take a loved one prematurely, Lord? Or, or why did I have to go through this terrible situation, Lord? Or why did my family have to go through this, God? Or why am I suffering with this sickness, God? Or whatever it may be. And, and secretly, whether we want to admit it or not, but deep down, sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to project and get angry at God himself, blaming him for the situation, the circumstances that we're in. And if we're not careful, that begins to close. It hardens our heart. We begin to close our heart off to God. Guys, that is a very dangerous place for you and me to be. Some of our hearts in this room today are full of shame, guilt, bitterness, discontentment. You're not grateful. There's anger, there's doubt, there's defeat. So if anything that we can do during this Christmas season, and maybe part of today's message was for you just to hear and realize, you know what, I am angry at God. I am resentful towards that person. I am harboring bitterness towards that person. Let me tell you something. There is no room for bitterness and unforgiveness in the same heart with the the peace and the joy and the love of Christ. There's just no room. And so the second thing I want to encourage you with this morning is, and not just today for Christmas, not just 
this season, but every day after, is just please open your hearts to God. Experience that forgiveness that you need. Experience, confess your sin before him. He will forgive you. He's faithful to forgive. Experience the perfect peace that comes with knowing and being in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The healing that he will bring to your heart if your heart has been hurt or it's, it's full of anger or whatever it may be. Allow the Lord's love to be poured out into your heart to heal you. You see, when God begins to pour his love into your heart, it comes to the point where your heart will become full. And when your heart does become full of the love of Christ, guess what? It has nowhere else to go but where? But to spill out into other people's lives. You see, we think that Christmas is a season we're supposed to share the love of Christ with everybody else. But let me tell you something. If your heart's not full with the love of Christ, what do you have to give? We can't give to anyone else that which we do not already have ourselves. And so if we're not making concerted time and spending time with the Lord and getting honest before God and making sure that he is allowed to to, to take lordship of our heart, to open our hearts up to him, to be vulnerable to him again, and say, God, I'm asking you to pour out your love into my heart so that I will have what I need to go and give to my spouse, to give to my children, to give to my friends and my family, to give to perfect strangers this Christmas season because I can't give them anything that I don't already have. That's what it means to open your heart to the love of Christ. Are you closing off your heart to Christ this Christmas? Number three, we need open ears. We need open hearts. We need open eyes to see the world. Look at what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. He says this here in verse 18. He says, you need salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, the church at Laodicea had gone blind. They couldn't see the way that God wanted them to see anymore. They couldn't see the world around them in the way that God wanted them to see anymore. All they could do was be focused on their own world, their own selves. That's where they had grown so selfish and self-seeking and conceited and stingy and greedy and all of these things. Their, their, Their eyes had lost the capacity to really be able to see the way that God had called them To see. So he said, You were actually blind. You need some salve. You need me to be able to touch your eyes so that you can see again the way that I want you to see. They had lost sight of their purpose. They had stayed and remained focused on themselves. And so the Lord rebuked them. He regularly rebuked the children of Israel about being blind and walking in darkness. He does the same to you and me today. Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. There's something significant about what we see. Your eyes are connected to your destination. When you see, you're focused, you have a destination. Your eyes are connected to your direction that you're walking in. Your eyes are connected to your desires and the things that you delight in. And what Jesus is trying to remind us today, we need to open up our eyes so that we can see as he sees. This is not something that comes naturally to you and me. We don't naturally wake up to see the world around us with God's eyes. That's why it's something that we must ask for in faith. Christian artist Brandon Heath sings this song, Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your eyes so I can see. Matthew West, another Christian artist, 
he wrote this song. I want to read you the lyrics to this song. I think this, this kind of really summarizes everything that I'm trying to say in this point. He wrote a song called My Own Little World. Listen to the lyrics of Matthew West. He says this, I stopped at a red light, looked out my window. I saw a cardboard sign that said, Help this homeless widow. Just above the sign was the face of a human. Think about that for just a second. How many times we drive by and we see the sign or we see the circumstance, we don't look at the face, right? I thought to myself, God, what have I been doing? So I rolled down my window. I looked her in the eye. He's beginning to see for the first time. How many times have I just passed her by? I gave her some money and I drove on through. In my own little world, there's population too. See what he's saying? For, for so long, all I was thinking about was myself. All of a sudden, his world got expanded to another person. He says, what if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose? I could be living right now outside my own little world. That's what Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea. He's saying, you're blind. All, all, you're, all you're focused on is your own little world and your, your petty problems and your circumstances and your, your wants and your desires and all this. This is the consumer church that we have basically raised up now here in the North American church. It's the church where it's all about who? It's about you. That's the consumer mentality that, that has filtered its way into the church and it makes true ministry more difficult than ever because people out there are wanting to be tended to. They're wanting to be served. They're the consumer. They're always right. If it doesn't please them or, or fit their desires or whatever it may be, they're going to move on to the next best thing. That's not what the church is called to be or called to do. And so many of us, unfortunately, can't see past our own little worlds, especially during Christmas, and so the third thing I'd like to encourage you with this, this morning, to do this Christmas and every day after, is just begin to ask God to give you eyes to see. It's a very simple prayer. Say, God, I need you to open my eyes to see the world the way you see the world. To be able to see others with the compassion and the capacity that you see them. To have the ability just to be able to see beyond myself this Christmas instead of closing our eyes off to the things of God. Number four, we want to open our ears. We want to open our hearts. We need to open our eyes. And next, we need to open our mouths to praise God and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Think about, again, as I said before, go tell it on the mountain. We sang that at the very first of the, of the service. The announcement of the birth of Jesus. Think about all the different people who were involved. You had prophets. You had priests. You had angels. You had shepherds. You had wise men. You had Joseph. You had Mary. You had so many people that were involved in the initial announcement of the birth of Jesus. You have John the Baptist a little bit later as Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Here's John saying, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the one you're waiting for. He's the the one you've been looking for. Everything that we see in the New Testament scriptures is about the announcement. And listen to me, it's a public announcement. When we look at the good news of the gospel and the announcement of the coming of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not something that we keep to ourselves. It's not something that we just discuss about in secret. It's something that we shout from the rooftops, go tell it on the mountain. It is a public announcement. That's what Christmas is about, by the way. When it's all said and done, it's about telling other people about this amazing news, the good news that Jesus Christ is born. In the city of David, this very day in Bethlehem, a Savior is born who will save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is literally 
about telling the true story of Jesus Christ, announcing the good news, sharing the hope of salvation with the whole world. And even more so today. Why? Because it is becoming less and less popular, my friends, to talk about Jesus even during Christmas. I saw one ridiculous article the other day about some school that said, uh, any Christmas songs that mention Jesus cannot be allowed in the school. I'm like, you just said Christmas. If it's Christmas, it's all about who? It's about Christ, right? I mean, that's, that's an oxymoron. What do you mean no Christmas songs can be about Jesus? It is about Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. But that's the level of ridiculous places that we've gone to in our culture has become less and less popular for us to, you know, you have workers now that are conditioned to say, season's greetings, happy holidays, but don't dare say what? Don't say Merry Christmas. So we're going to hijack your holiday. We're going to make it about ungodly, worldly things or whatever, but you can't say the name of Jesus during this Time And so there is a culture that is relentless, relentlessly working to silence any utterance of the gospel message during the Christmas season, which means that now more than ever, we need to open up our mouths during this Christmas season. So my fourth encouragement to you is to make a commitment right now that you're going to open your mouth this Christmas and every day after. Remember, it's not just for Christmas. And just tell somebody about Jesus. You would think that that would be so easy to do as a Christian. Just tell them about Jesus. Christmas presents so many opportunities, guys. I mean, the, 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 at least the name of Christ is just out there for a whole month, going on a whole month from, from early before Thanksgiving all the way past Christmas. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities and platforms in your conversations day-to-day, -day, interactions with people to just tell somebody about Jesus. You would think it would be so easy for us to do. But that's when I began to sit back and wonder, Man, is, is the Lord sick? Is he sick? Is he, is he disgusted with what we've made it? How ashamed we are of him? I mean, that's what it really boils down to. We're, we're more afraid of man than we are of God. We have more fear of man than we have of God. That's really what it all boils down to. Are we really that ashamed of Jesus Christ? Think about that for a second. If you want to give a gift, a life change, what if I told you that you have right now the greatest gift that you could give to anybody, a life-changing gift, the most valuable gift that you could ever give, the most beautiful gift that you could give to any person, a gift that will last forever, never to perish. What if I told you everybody in this room has that gift and it's free? Man, no more shopping, right? Like, we wouldn't have to go and spend all this money and take out another credit card and go buy all these ridiculous gifts. I mean, this is a free gift. Not only is it free, it's, it's eternal, it's valuable, it's beautiful. And listen, you know what it is? All it is, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And everybody in this room has it. How many of us are giving it out? The scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the one who shares the good news. You know what's amazing is that there's somebody out there right now that you're going to cross paths with this Christmas that's desperately waiting for you just to tell them about Jesus, to give them hope. As I said before, Christmas is a very, very depressing time for a lot of people. Some people are ready to take their own life this Christmas. 
They're just waiting for one last chance for somebody to come along and tell them there's hope, there's reason to live. Maybe that's the gift that you give this Christmas. Number five, we need open hands to be givers like Christ. You see, the church at Laodicea was a rich church. They were very wealthy. And they began to put a lot of their faith and their trust and their own security in their own wealth. But because they were so very wealthy, they forgotten other people who were in need around them. They become very greedy and very stingy. May, may that never be the kind of a church that we are. You see, they walked around with clenched fists instead of open hands willing to give to the poor. I don't, have a, I don't have to go into great detail. We know what Jesus felt, how he felt about giving to the poor. His whole earthly ministry, they, they kept a treasury. They kept money to give to whom? to the poor the whole time. He said, remember the poor. Jesus was very intentional about helping those who were in need. James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows were the most desperate people, in, especially in that day and even today. They were the poorest of the poor. They needed help, and that's what James is saying. If you want to have pure and undefiled religion, you go help widows and orphans in their need. Paul tells us in Acts 20, 35, he says, it is more blessed to give than to what? Than to receive. So this Christmas, I'm just asking you, and every day after, to open your hands and be givers like Jesus Christ. And also, let's take it a step further. Parents, I want to make a radical suggestion to you this morning. And it's really not even radical if you think about what it, how it lines up with Scripture. But simply this. Let's start a new tradition in our homes, in our churches. And let's teach our children the true meaning of Christmas. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, let's just shift our focus from what am I going to get this Christmas. And instead, let's teach our children what are we going to give. It's very simple. Now, I want you to think about that. What if every time a parent walked up to a child after Christmas, instead of saying, hey, hey, sweetie, what'd you get for Christmas? What if we said, hey, what did you give for Christmas? Tell me about how you helped somebody else. Think about this. Many times our children, they're never going to remember the presents that they get for Christmas. But I know many of you in this room, you've done this. You've taken your family. You've gone to help somebody in need. You've given of your time. You've served others in the name of Jesus Christ as a family. And let me tell you something. 20 years, 30 years, 50 years from now, do you know that your child will never, ever forget that? Why? Because Jesus said it's what? It's better to give. Than it's so much more fulfilling to give than it is to receive. What a novel idea that we just simply start new traditions and stop asking children what they got for Christmas and start showing them how to give for Christmas. Make a commitment as a family to serve others and give generously to those in need. <clears throat> if you need ideas, come see me. We got tons of things going on here in the life of this church, whether it be our Jackson Avenue ministry or our help group. There's families in need. We get letters all the time about a family that's in need. If you're looking for someone to bless and someone to, to give to this Christmas, come see me. I want to help you. I want to help you in that. And let's go to our last two, and I got I to get out. We need open arms to show the kindness of Christ. All I'm going to say about this, and the reason I added this one in, because this is something I think we forget about. Listen, guys. There's people there, out there around us, in your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and they are so beat up. They've been, they've been abused for so long. 
whether it be verbal abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse or whatever it may be, but there's people around us all over the place. And listen, all they need is a hug. I know that sounds so simple, but listen to me. Do you know how few people just have true, warm, affectionate embrace from somebody that genuinely loves them? You know what one of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody this Christmas is just a what? Just to give them a hug and say, I love you. Jesus loves you. Like Miss Alex says, I love you, but Jesus loves you what? So much more. Just a hug sometimes. That's some of the greatest things that you can give in a season like this when people are hurting and desperate and they've been abused and they're broken and beat down. Sometimes just affectionate human touch is so important. I could go on and on about that. And here's the last one. We need to open up our doors to Christ and let him in. We need to let him in. As I said, the church at Laodicea, somewhere along the way, they had closed Jesus out. They just shut him out. All this business, all the stuff they had made, and he's out here on the outside of the church. He's not even involved. He's not even invited. If we're not careful, we can become guilty of doing the very same thing. So my encouragement to you is I ask our our praise team to come on up as we get ready to close out. Let's make sure that we have not shut Jesus out of our lives, out of our homes, out of our churches. Let's make sure that we have not excluded him, the only one who is here for the reason for which we live and why we have life and what this whole season is about. One of the saddest scriptures in all the Bible comes from John 1. It says this. It says, he was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Listen to this. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. How sad that is that the God of the universe, the creator of all, entered into his creation and for the most part, we didn't even receive him. But the promise is this, in John 1, 12, it says, However, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door, I will come in and to eat with you, and you will be with me. In other words, this is the sweet fellowship of making sure that Jesus Christ, listen, is the most honored guest in our lives. Let me say that again. Is Jesus Christ the most honored guest here this morning? When you open up your home, is your home right now a place where you can say, Jesus Christ, the reality of his presence, his personal presence, he is the most honored guest in this home. And everything that we do and we say in this home will respect and honor and glorify him. Is your life, is Jesus Christ the most honored person, guest in your heart this morning? All of these things, I think, we all need to step back and examine ourselves and ask ourselves, is Jesus Christ welcome? Is he welcome? At his own party, right? It's his party. It's his birthday. Is is he even welcome? So as we go, I'm going to leave you two simple things. You ready? I'm going to ask you this question. What are you giving for Christmas this year? There's still time, family. There's still time. You can give and be so blessed. And as we give to other people, we truly can change the world one act of love, one act of kindness at a time. Two weeks to Christmas. What are you giving for Christmas this year?
Teach your children how to be givers. Change your family traditions today. Let's truly make a difference in the world around us. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you're a God who gives. You were willing to give your life for us. You were willing to give forgiveness to sinners like us. You were willing to give a place where we belong, a family to love. You're willing to give us eternal life as a free gift. Lord, I pray that your church would be a people who give. That we give the word of God, we give the love of Christ, we share the light of Christ, that we open our mouths to tell the good news, that we give and meet the needs of others around us, Lord. And then, Lord, in that is such a blessing that you've promised because you have proclaimed that it is so much better, we are so much more blessed to give than we were ever to receive. And so, God, change our hearts today for your namesake and for your glory. May we be open for Christmas. It's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that we pray. Amen.